0: Roach Coach
1: podcast. All day, all day, every day.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach podcast. The journey to create the new metal cannon. My name is Lauren Kozlowski. With me, as always, is the Indigo Angel Jennifer Sosha. Hello, and the original Roach Rider, Mr. Matt and Oz.
0: Keep it rolling, baby.
2: There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, what a show we have for you today. You've been listening to us for many, many years. And generally, it's just the three of us. But today, we add a fourth. Because we have the chance to sit down over the internet. Are you
0: fucking with, ready for this?
2: The man of fire himself, Will Putney. What a dream. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know what? I had a whole preamble here, but there's no reason. We talked to Will Putney. We talked to him about a whole bunch of stuff. We definitely talked about some of the stuff that you know we wanted to talk to him about. We also talked about some other stuff. So we're just going to Revelations
0: dive. galore.
2: Revelations. We cover some things. So please enjoy this conversation with Manifier. Will Putney. Uh, All right. Well, everybody, we want to welcome to the show, producer extraordinaire, Will Putney. Will, welcome to Roach Coach.
3: What's up, guys? Thank you for having me.
2: We are so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for taking time. Just starting off, how are you today?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine. I have COVID, so I'm sick, but it could be worse. I'm just quarantined on... uh, side of my house right now locked in a room away from my wife and dog did you know dogs can get covid what i didn't
2: i did yeah i heard that i just heard that yeah (laughs) it
3: broke my heart so i'm now i'm isolated from my family waiting to test negative but uh i am i'm over the hill with it now so it's just some netflix and hanging out with myself all day but i'm happy to happy to take some time and chat with you
1: can I ask you what you're watching on Netflix? What
3: am I watching? What did I just get through? Uh, I was—I fell asleep trying to watch the new Marvel movie, the Ten Rings one. Okay. So I i don't know if I'm going to give that two thumbs up yet. And uh, what did I just finish? Oh, I, I was big on this show called Homeland. Like It's an old Showtime show that I just kind of finished through. So that's been taking up some of my time. And then, yeah, I'm open to suggestions. So I got a few days here, so... Feel free to throw
1: some at me. Yeah, you gotta let us know what streaming services you're working with. And if you're open to trash reality TV, I'm here for you. And if not, I think probably Lauren and Matt got you. So fair enough. Uh,
2: yeah. I've been I've been rewatching all the Matrix movies in anticipation for the new Matrix. So that's what I've been doing. Well,
3: that, yeah. I know there's some new A twenty four stuff coming out. I'm waiting for that Macbeth one. That looks awesome.
2: Oh yeah. That's gonna be sick. So we um, wanted to start off by, um, you know, we are a predominantly new metal based podcast. And we actually first learned about you uh, when we did the album Strangers Only by uh, My Ticket Home. And which definitely has a lot of new metal leanings on it. And so I know when you had spoken with our friend uh, Josh Toomey, he had you had mentioned that sort of your relationship with new metal has kind of gone up and down over the years. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Uh, sure. It was like uh, I had my honeymoon phase of new metal as a kid, uh, like, like everybody else did, I'm sure, with the, the glory days of the late 90s stuff. Um, but I was in and out of it, you know, like I I grew up uh, I grew up in in a household where my parents listened to extremely soft music, the soft, <laughs> the the gentlest pillow of <laughs> Was like Rod sticker and Elton John and Neil Diamond. So maybe that stuff was just so beaten into my brain that I gravitated towards more extreme music like earlier in my life. Like I was in I think I was in third or fourth grade going to the store buying like West Coast hip hop tapes and 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 like hiding parental advisory stickers from my parents so I could get like Dr. Dre albums and things like that. And I would like I was always interested in like the darker, more extreme side of music, I guess. So when, um, you know, my, the natural progression as a shot, as a, you know, a product of like MTV, I found alternative music and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and things like that. And then right around the time I like discovered metal where I was like, Oh, Metallica's cool. And Slayer's cool. And I'm learning all this stuff, all this new metal stuff had exploded too. And it was like, spookier to me it was like darker and like scarier in a way where i was like i kind of leaned into that stuff so all those like early you know corn and limp biscuit and coal chamber those records had like this little special place for me for a minute in time then i went to my first hardcore show and then i just like went down that path and i kind of forgot about new metal for years you know and now as an older in my life i can like appreciate like some of the songwriting and you know where I am And like as a producer I could see like some of the work that went into some of those records and the, and like now I've kind of grown to be like oh these are cool I like I like this stuff again but I was like really off it for a while so I've been in and out of uh the land of new metal over, over time but now I kind of just like what I, I kind of just like a little of everything so it has it, has, it sits in a nice place for me now
2: very cool. Uh, I'm curious. Have you had a chance to listen to the new Limp Bizkit?
3: I've got about halfway through it. Not because I didn't like it, just because I, uh, I've, I've just haven't had enough time to sit down and digest it all. I listen to so much freaking music all day that when mm-hmm. I'm done recording, my leisure time isn't like let's put heavy music on. Be- <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I, I kind of always kind of wondered about that because yeah if you're if you're listening to music and listening to you know riffs on riffs for eight to ten hours a day I imagine yeah when you come home you're like the last thing you wanted to hear is another breakdown or you're gonna have a breakdown
3: and uh, honestly like my musical tastes have changed over time where like I've just gravitated back towards like easy listening because I need a a break you know (laughs) Uh, so yeah it's like hard it's more of a challenge for me to get through like full you know like modern heavy records now is like oh man i can't (laughs) you know but um i did because i was excited about it and actually my buddy zach servini produced the record too which is awesome um he's a guy that i used to work with at at the at our studio here and then he moved out to la became his own like mega producer in his own right so i was really excited about it because he you know had a big hand in that too but um, I like it, and the first riff on the record is unbelievable. Yes. it's like, yeah, it is crazy. Right, when that first came on, I was like, oh my god, this is awesome.
0: The boys did it again.
3: The, the boys <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. did it again. Um, yeah, I was nice return to return the form for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, we did want to ask. I know you said that you've transitioned back into listening to easy listening, which. I'm so curious about, but you still make very heavy music as well. Um, and one of the things that we wanted to ask you about was there's a new fit for an autopsy record coming out. So I'm wondering like, what are you most excited for people to hear and what were like your favorite parts of making that record?
3: Yeah. The, the new fit record, which comes out January 14th, I believe. Yeah. January 14th is, uh, was really fun to make. Cause it was like, uh, kind of like a quarantine record for me i had um obviously i had a whole year of recording stuff booked and then the pandemic hit so a lot of um the international bands that i was scheduled to work with over here in the states i like couldn't come and instead of like filling out my schedule i just used a lot of that time to mix bands remotely and write so i spent a lot more time on this record i think just trying new stuff for the band and uh wrote more songs than i ever did and stuff. It was like the first time i really felt like wow, we really have like no time restraint to make a make an album. Um and and we and it, it kind of opened up the idea of like oh, i could try new things. i could blow it on a few songs and it doesn't matter cuz there's not like this overwhelming pressure to be like, all right, you only got this this is the the month you said you were going to write it, so you got to write it. Um so it was like this really it really let me like go a few different directions that I don't know if I normally would have had the, the time or interest in pursuing, you know, like kind of going down these Hills where it's like, I I don't know if this will work, but I want to see it through, you know, um, normally I just like, kind of get the ideas in my head where I'm like, all right, I think this is going to work. So let me do that. And this time I got to like take more shots at some out of the box things for the band. And I think, um, the end result of that is really cool because, I think this record is like more dynamic and it lives in different places, does a lot of stuff that we've never done before. And um, I'm really happy for people. I'm excited for people to hear like kind of new takes on what the band could do. On this
2: one. Yeah, I really like the last fit for an autopsy record. And as Jenny and I can attest, I am not normally the audience for something that heavy. Um, but it was a very cool record. And the new singles, um, I, I like them a lot. I'm very excited for this record. As Jenny had said, you know, I'm not, you know, versed in all the technical terms, but um, there are some riffs on that last fit record that i just like dive bombers, I think is what I was calling them in our texts. And uh it's <laughs> the uh, technical
0: terms, sweet it's technical
2: dive term. bombs, sweet dive bombs, and uh yeah, so I'm excited to hear uh hear what this whole record brings us yeah it's
3: really um if anyone who likes a band there's definitely something there for you and i just think we expanded you know i know it's pretty cliche i'm sure a lot of bands say this when they talk about their new music but this is like the one time i actually feel like wow we really did a whole lot on this one you know so there's like it was hard to pick singles it was hard to even show people the whole record you know i'm excited that's why i'm excited for people to um when this comes out to really get get the whole scope of it all because there's like no filler for me like every song's got its own identity and yeah i'm proud of it it's gonna
0: be cool i was listening to in shadows and i, I, I am not the market either for for incredibly heavy music uh i spend most of my time connecting with the new blue note jazz catalog uh that's got uh, ca- That's kind of been my thing lately, uh, just because I bought a record player and they're putting out their whole catalog again. And I'm like, great, music I never listened to in my entire life. But I put put on that In Shadows and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then like three quarters through the song, the way that it breaks into the, the melodicness of it, I was like, holy shit. There's so much more going on besides just like the obvious heaviness of it that... As 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 somebody who I would say is a hardcore casual in, in heavy music, that is the that's that perfect juxtaposition everybody's looking for. I was like, I it, it sucked me in because I was like, Jesus, there's so much more going on than just like for three minutes. It's like, holy shit, there's so much going on in this record. So I'm looking forward to it. I know that these guys are going to we're going to put it on. We're going to have to we're going to have to group listen. Just yeah. the three of us Groupless and group chat.
1: Groupless, and I am the market for even things that just make a long guttural noise for a long time, and I like it too. So you've really got the the bases of Roach coach fully covered, which I'm sure was a top uh, goal.
0: Top goal. Top goal. Yeah. Target market. Target market.
3: You are the target audience. That's right. I, <laughs> a, a, to be fair, there is a there is a borderline new metal riff on the record. There's one. It's coming. I'll make sure I'll make sure it's sent directly to you with a time <laughs> when it's Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Because
0: I, I imagine I, that you don't know this, but we do. We have the Canon, uh, but we're all from the Midwest. So in Midwest House, there's this thing called the junk drawer. I don't know if the East Coast has this as much as we do, but it's like a drawer that has literally everything. Are you looking for a rubber band? Go to the junk drawer. Are you looking for that epoxy? <laughs> Go to the junk drawer. Like... It has everything. And we put certain things that necessarily wouldn't go into the canon into the junk drawer. So if you're like, just this riff, oh, we can snip that baby. We'll put it right in there.
1: We call well, it I'll a be, junk I, drawer, but it's treasure.
0: Truly. It is true treasure.
1: I'd be honored to be in your drunk
3: junk drawer. That
1: would
0: be fantastic. <laughs> and and uh, we haven't mentioned it yet, and longtime listeners of our show will be wondering why we haven't given you your surname yet, or your your proper name here on the Roach Coach? Uh, will we call you the Man of Fire? Indeed,
2: the Man uh, of Fire. You are wow. the Man of Yeah. You're the Man of Fire on this show. Um, Any time that you come up, um, because you have consistently brought the heat for just about every record you've ever produced that we have heard, um, and uh, it is held true literally every time. I see your name attached to something, and we all send it to each other in the group chat. We said the manifier did it again, more heat. And uh, I know you said when you were on Josh Toomey's show that you didn't really have any nicknames, but I mean that is the nickname that you have on our show.
3: Wow, I appreciate that. It's very a very flattering nickname. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not one with a lot of nicknames. So if you, uh, I, I appreciate you taking it upon yourself to create one so flattering to me. <laughs>
0: You've also worked yeah. with a lot of bands that have fire in the title.
3: That also helped, <laughs> or oh, are yeah.
0: heat adjacent?
3: <laughs> yeah, that probably. Check. Yeah, that's okay. it, yeah. fire is a metal core subject, so um, I'm <laughs> sure I've dealt with a lot of that over the years.
2: So uh, we wanted to ask, as um, well, actually, Jenny, you had a question about um, about production.
1: Yeah. So because you are both a musician and producer, I was curious, which came first? And how does having experience on both sides play into the work that you do when you're writing music or when you're producing?
3: Um, I guess I was a musician first. I I don't know if I'd call myself a musician first because I was pretty bad, but uh, I was a bad musician first then a producer, then like a halfway decent musician. I guess that would be the lineage. But I uh, I started playing guitar really early, like as a kid, as soon as I sort of was exposed to like a local heavy music scene. And I was like, oh, I want to do this. So I joined a band and self-taught some guitar, took some lessons, like just learned from my friends. like. And uh, I was always like involved in music. I'd always done bands in some form, but they were always sort of, just for fun with my friends, local stuff. And I, I never really knew much about music production. It wasn't until like later on in life where I had an opportunity to work at a studio, uh, with machine, the record producer, where I, where I finally, um, like saw the inside of how that actually works and what a record producer actually does. And, um, from then I was like full in on record production, you know? And, um, the idea of me doing a band almost like took a backseat and even fit for an autopsy, like started as just some thing we were going to do locally for fun. Wasn't even a metal band when it started, it was just me and my friends who were in hardcore bands. And we, we just by chance linked up with a singer and certain other guys where it made sense to like, Oh, let's just do a metal band and see what happens. Um, but I never really had intentions of being like a full-time musician at that point. I was like, I'm going to be a record producer. So when the band band sort of took off in parallel to my record producing career i kind of had to make that decision of what i was going to do with my life and it was this weird weird time for me because i had never really even saw myself as having a career in music it was always just like a passion and a hobby and now i'm almost presented with like two options you know um so i i i just continued to lean into producing records and it kind of snowballed from from there but um I'd say like over the years, I've definitely learned about what works and what doesn't work a lot from being a record producer. And I think they both do play into each other in a really cool way. Like being able to be involved with a music scene and, and seeing the dynamics of like how, how to exist as a full-time band, like what touring can be like, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm off the road now. I, I had done some touring initially with my band and then, i kind of sub myself out we added a band member so that i could stay home and they can be a full-time touring band but i'm obviously involved in like the business side and i kind of can take the mentality of like what it's actually like to do a band for real what what things actually connect and i can apply that to when i go into the studio and make records with bands because i'm sort of living in a similar world to them um so they do play off each other a lot. but probably a lot more than I even realized as I'm like thinking about this, they answer this question, I'm realizing being involved in the music scene artistically the same way as as a musician and as a producer, they they really do both connect a lot. And when I'm working with a band or if I see if I have a younger band in the studio, sort of the insight that I I have from doing it in a position they were in it always plays into the discussions that we have and creative process of like why a song would work, like what I've seen connect with people, what I've seen fail. Um, So I, I think there's a lot of give and take both ways, you know? And, and uh, I'd say like a lot of the producers that are probably successful would have had their foot, you know, would have been strongly embedded in some kind of music scene and didn't just show up and Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to start fans and this is going to work i think everyone with a with a degree of success would have came from a world that they really understood and knew had the connections with people had the connections to the music so i do think they're like very intertwined in
2: that sense so speaking of um like being a producer and you know we can't say it enough don't know a thing about anything when it comes to producing (laughs) records and we are always just you know, when when, when we're listening to an album, we're just sort of guessing, you know, all the time, like what was going on when they were making this. And so I I guess my question is like, when you're in the studio with a band, um, is there such a thing as like a studio vibe or a vibe? Like you come in and like the vibe is up or the vibe is good. Or like, do you believe in like studio vibes? Do you believe in like creating a vibe? Do you believe the band brings the vibe? Do you believe in vibes? Maybe that's (laughs) what I
0: should have. <laughs> are you a vibe believer? <laughs> yes.
3: Uh yeah, no, I think it's a real thing for sure. I mean I, I can always tell when people are not in the right headspace or or if we're gonna have a good day or a bad day, you know, with the with a given musician. I think it's important to have fun in the studio. We always like have a lot of fun making records here and, and um a lot of the bands that I work with have become like very good friends. So there's always this like it's just hanging out with your buddies, having a good time, and that takes like a lot of the sort of pressure off and and things like that. Obviously, like if it's the first time I'm working with guys and they're strangers, and I don't know the dynamics of the band and who's the alpha guy and who has the ego and things like that. It's like you have to kind of feel that sort of stuff out and navigate it. But a lot of it is like just understanding the personalities of the people you're working with and going, all right, I need to try to accomplish this goal. What are the challenges with that? Who's the guy I have to kind of break down? Who's the guy that is like the real driving creative force who I have to get on a page with? It's a lot of communication, sort of just understanding how people work more so than um, what, how they, more so from like a musical standpoint. It's like if I can connect with these, with this band as people and find common ground on things, it sort of opens the doors to be able to connect with them musically too so there there's like there's definitely layers to it um but yeah i mean if if like generally it goes really great here so i feel like understanding what the goal is like in all having this common goal always kind of leads to this good vibe because even when you're head butting or like you're not on the same page with a guy it's like we can always get back to that common ground of like hey we're trying to get the best idea to win this is what everybody wants. Let's do this. And like, I always try to keep the ship on course in that sense. And, and, um, it's generally worked well, you know, but yeah, there's always been days where like some guys just off or he's fighting with his girlfriend or there's some, something going on at home where it's like, Oh, the vibe's down today. We're going to have to deal with it, you know, but we just work through those bad spots and, uh, it's, it's been pretty easy to figure out
2: have you have you ever been approached by a band and you were like like okay this should be no problem and then you meet with them and you're like oh this is all off and you just had to walk away has that ever happened i don't
1: think i've ever
3: actually had a band in the studio where i've walked away but i've definitely i've definitely had like calls and interactions with bands where i was like oh i'm gonna love to do this and then after speaking to the band been like oh actually i'm gonna hate to do this <laughs> never mind
0: <laughs> no thank um, you <laughs>
3: no, thank you um yeah you know i think a lot of time it's more like um bands under like bands saying that they'll want to do a certain type of record or like are are cool it's the idea of wanting to do a process but not really like a, a lot of people are rightfully so like very precious to what they do and what they write and what they do sonically and sometimes I'll cross paths with bands who are very self-sufficient and don't really want to hear it from somebody else where it's like okay well that's that's cool if you want to be your own band make your own record you know be super heavy-handed not really take outside counsel on certain things you know and and it works for plenty of bands but it's like I'm the kind of guy who goes in and tells you like hey this part's stuck so, like, some people just don't want to hear that. Um, and I, I've definitely I've definitely had conversations with bands where I'm like, I can tell that they're not really going to be super open to what I think. And then when, when that's the case, I just try not to involve myself because it's like, ah, it, it's kind of a waste of energy on my side. And they're probably in the end just going to do what they want to do. So I'm not always the perfect fit for bands like that, you know?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, listening to this and and listening to you talk about it and talk about the dynamics of the band as somebody who's never been in the room and just having finished that eight hour Beatles documentary, there is what it was like parallels just being drawn in my mind where it's like you see all the dynamics of a band happening in real time and some of them don't even realize like, no, you're writing the hit right now. You're like you're literally writing the great song. If you guys would get out of your own way.
3: Yeah, I mean, I haven't been in the room with the Beatles. Right. <laughs> <So> I... <laughs> but I'm gonna but give yeah. it to
0: you, Will. I'm gonna say like you're you're recording the Beatles of our time. <laughs> I oh, am nothing but compliments over here.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the heavy Beatles over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've definitely been in a situation where I hear something that I think is awesome, but then a band is not on the same page about it. And I just try to get the problem solved. It's tricky. Like, there are there are definitely guys in their own way all the time, you know, where, where it's like, you're brilliant and this part's awesome and you're overthinking it and we should just, if it's good, it's good. Like, go with your gut, you know? But um, it's been like, i don't really have crazy nightmare stories like that where it's like a band that's fighting and stuff like all the preemptive conversations before i get into the studio with bands and like it's i'm fortunate where the people that i've worked with especially in the recent years are kind of all on the same page and we're not really ever like going to war in that sense um so it's fewer and far between nowadays for sure but um yeah, like, I can't imagine being in the scenario where, like, oh, I'm hearing the biggest song uh, in the world being written mm-hmm. in real time, and then the band is just fighting with each other. It's, it's such an insane, like, yeah. it's just an insane scenario to imagine.
0: Well, I, I had a question for you. Uh, one of the producers besides yourself that we mentioned probably the most on this show is Ross Robinson. And one of the reasons is because he just happened to produce a ton of new metal records. And the other thing that we tend to bring up with Ross is that he has a set of rules. Kind of, uh, He did an interview once, and we pulled it out of there. It was like, Ross's rules. And it was like, number one was like, rewrite everything. Number two was like, work on your choruses. And number three, if you're singing it, I better feel it. And that's kind of like something that we come back to all the time now that we're having the chance to talk to you, I know that you have some specific rules and some advice for bands that are going to come into the studio with you. And I know that you've said them before, but I think it's a great time to kind of recover them again because we do have a lot of musicians that do listen to this show may not have heard you in other venues. Um, What are you kind of like your advice or your rules that you give to bands to be like, this is how we can have success inside of the studio together.
3: Sure. Um, I don't know if I have set rules. Honestly, I don't know if Ross has set rules. I think you put him, I think somebody put him on the spot for an answer and he had to fire off some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I I know Ross, like we've worked together and he's awesome. And I can tell you, that guy has no rules when it comes to making (laughs) records.
0: If there's a plant, he'll throw it, whatever it takes. Myth
3: busted
1: ross's rules
3: ross is definitely his own special special creature for sure but um i yeah i've had i've i like did a record with him and uh it was it was like a transformative experience for the band for sure you know where they went in with a certain level of expectations knowing ross's like you know stigma and aura and everything that would like what they thought they would would have and they had it and they had their own experience out of that you know um so i think i think he's very adaptive to the record he's working on too you know but i don't have like i guess i don't have set rules it's just more of like a mindset of like hey there's the ego gets left at the, like the door you know and the best the best idea is going to win and i don't care where it comes from you know, and, and, it, and that's really the main thing where it's like, you're here because we're all trying to make the best record possible. And I don't want to hear any like excuses or deterrences from that because of your reservations or your, you know, ego or preconceived shit. So it's, it's more about like, um, you just have to be on the page that if if somebody thinks something can be better, we're gonna, we're gonna change it. We're gonna play with that part, you know? Um and that's like as long as i can get past that it usually leads to progress with songs and music in the studio so that's like my main thing and you know as far as like tips for bands and stuff especially younger bands who haven't been in the in the studio environment that we have like i think it's just being being as this seems so simple but like being as prepared as possible is such a lifesaver like you should really know your music before you walk into a studio down to like every little detail, what things are supposed to be, how you're supposed to play parts, like being rehearsed and, and prepared can shave off so much time in the studio, you know, Uh, especially in the age where a lot of bands create music in a computer, which is obviously a useful tool to demo and write and write songs and stuff. Not being able to like play that stuff as a band before you walk into the studio is such like a, deterrence when it comes to like all right let's work on this part you know um so i i i see that freak more frequently nowadays especially with younger bands and it's like hey you got to know your music you got to be able to play this stuff like we're gonna immediately start hashing things out and changing parts and like being able to like keep up with the pace of like try this try that what if it did this like play this part for me let me see this like if i can't you know, if you don't know what you're doing, then there's this like learning curve that has to happen and it slows, uh, it slows the workflow down, you know? So that's probably the main thing I'd say nowadays that I run into where I just want people to be aware of.
0: I can get that because they probably just put it into the grid and it can be a thing where it's like, I did the run solidly once done. (laughs) It's like,
3: yeah, it happens all the time, even with great players. I mean, to, you know, I get it. You're firing off like a ton of songs. Bands are under pressure to write. A lot of times, a lot of stuff comes out fast and you don't revisit it. Then when we sit down and we open up sessions and it's like, oh, OK, well, what are you doing here? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> figure it out. You know, so it it's common. And even with really good musicians, it's super common now, you know. Jenny, cool. You had a
1: question. I do. I do. So I'm one of the things that we talk about on here a lot is kind of like uh, if an album is respectful of our time, uh, which is a little bit of a joke because our podcast is extremely long. Um, But I'm curious, like when you're producing a record and a band comes in, are you all thinking about like how long is this record going to be? Do you have like a cap um, and sort of related Uh, and the respectful of our time would be like how songs are sequenced how long does it feel so i'm curious like is that something that comes up for you at all or you just kind of like flow with it and see what happens um uh, yeah i think it's it's not at the top of our heads usually but
3: i definitely am i i tend to lean towards cutting all the fat on albums probably more than the bands i work with do you know i uh I don't mind shorter records if everything is good. And I try to explain that to people too, where it's like, okay, you have, you have tens, you have 11 songs, but what if it was 10 and it was just the 10 good ones and the worst song wasn't, wasn't here, you know? So <laughs>
1: I, uh... yeah. I think that's what I was trying to get at. And like a bit of a circuitous yeah. polite way, but yes. Okay. Oh no, no.
3: <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite things to do is to cut songs. I love, I love, love cutting songs off of records it's so uh it feels so accomplished to finish (laughs) recording a song and being like okay everyone saw it through we all good all right cut the song great it's very it's it's a highlight for me um no but i do think nowadays people just like kids have shorter attention spans and i don't think filler serves any real purpose, you know? And, and I know, you know, for the given band, yes, sometimes songs have to be more long winded and things have to go a certain way. And, um, uh, but I try to, I try to make things as concise as possible now, whether that's shortening, you know, the length of an album or creating a sequence where it feels like it moves fast. Like, I'm, I'm aware of like, if you want to get, if you want people to get to the end, you have to like, try to accommodate the idea that hey it the the people are going to switch this off if they get if it gets stale or if they get bored you know um so yeah i keep i do keep it in mind you know but at the same time like i've had i've put out some of the longest records i've done recently you know where it's like i just felt like this is what the album needed to be i mean the new fit record is probably the longest one that we've done and like The new Every Time I Die, we recorded 16 songs and then we put them all on the record because nobody could agree on cutting a song. We just happened to like all of the songs, which is like um, not common with certain (laughs) bands. and things. But we had a 16 song record, which I don't know if I've ever even done, you know. So it's like sometimes it's just like, you know what? This is all awesome. I don't care what people think. Everybody here likes it. We're all happy with it. Let's just do it, you know. So it, it depends, but I lean towards like cutting, cutting the fat for sure.
2: Uh, so I had a question. Um, when you're in the studio and somebody is making something, be it a vocal or a riff or something like that, are you guys working in any sort of technical terms or is it literally something where somebody plays something and you're like, that was sick as hell and it's going on? Is, is that a play into the decision process or is it more technical? Like, yes, that was very good. Or are you guys like, you know what? We all thought that was fucking awesome. Is that anything at all when you guys are recording?
3: Um, we talk like normal people. Usually we're not <laughs> like, uh...
1: yeah. you don't just totally change at all. Yeah. Okay, cool. Writing this down.
3: Normally. So I can say like that fucking stinks or that's fucking great. You know? And we, we haven't had, um, we, we, yeah, I don't know. That's a weird one because I I don't I don't talk in technical terms when, like, I'm just communicating with normal band dudes. It's it's just normal conversation.
0: Fair enough, Matt. You had a question. Well, I wanted to know, um, and I'm I'm breaking a little bit away, but because you're in the studio and you get to see uh, the bands do things, I just had a question. Kind of watching uh, some of the YouTube clips of of you in the studio and with the bands. And I wanted to know, like, what is your favorite thing to kind of there's a moment where people are doing things and don't realize that kind of on the outside, it might be a little bit might be a little bit silly, like guitar faces, even though it's like not really a complicated part. It's just like the face that people make um i really love watching you record somebody and then you've got the lead singer and they're screaming but they're also holding their phone right in front of them so it's just like they're screaming to their phone uh do you have like a favorite studio thing that's just like when we hit the stage this is going to be awesome but like in the studio out of context this is kind of goofy
3: um yeah, I think it's the wardrobe that shows up at the studio because everybody gets comfortable and then you've got like a bunch of guys in like loafers and sweatpants playing like the most brutal music but they look like, you know, they look like senior citizen like the tire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the actual like studio attire sometimes is so funny like oh here's this like super deep serious like intense brutal guitar lyric thing and it's like a guy in his pajamas you know like (laughs) that. that's the funny part to me like watching um, you know if you see a studio video guys are usually like oh I guess I'll put pants on today (laughs) but but, generally uh, people look like you know it's like quarantine wear in in the studio all the time now, um, I've I've worked with singers who just record in their boxers, you know. So it's like a guy in his under it's like a guy in his underwear, just sitting here, just sitting here screaming. And I'm like, this isn't um, this isn't the look I think you're you want to project to the world with the message <laughs> you're trying to deliver here. But yeah, the the funniest one for me it has to be that everyone just wears pajamas and tries to make the most important music
0: of their life you know (laughs) but they look like they they belong in like a just a relaxation center
3: yeah yeah it's insane
2: uh you know i had a question um do you read reviews of your work um because i know some people have said that like they're they've kind of stopped reading reviews just because of how it affects their mindset but then some people have said just that people and i think we definitely do it of like we assume things about the recording of an album and production in general that we just have no context for and someone might refer to a record as like well produced or shoddily produced or you know whatever and then it's like you guys don't even know what you're talking about do you do you read reviews do you consider any of those type of things
3: um i mean i've seen i see them when they pop up you know um obviously i'm curious like i want people to like what i make so i'm always like do people like what i make you know um but like i think the style of production i do is a little i i'd I'd like to imagine that i tailor it to specific bands to sound a certain way um so and it's not always like the norm so i know that it's probably always met with lots of positive but then like a few people don't get it because it's not maybe what they're used to hearing um So I've just, like, learned to accept, like, yeah, no, there's no way that everybody will think this is awesome. Like, anytime I put anything out, like, music is so subjective, so is production, like, the sonics of a record, especially when it's, like, left of center, sometimes it's, like, yeah, it'll be met with, like, people who think it's great and people who are, like, this sounds weird. I don't know why it sounds different than the, like, hundred other records I listen to. so uh like like years ago i was like yeah none of this actually matters like as long as like i'm stoked and the band's stoked and the the band continues to like grow in the right way it's like those actual reviews don't really phase. like they don't really i don't really put much stock into them anymore you know um i think generally people like the stuff we do though so it's like If I saw an overwhelmingly negative response to something, I would I guess I would have to like look at it and be like, okay, why does everybody hate this? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so if that if that made its way onto my radar, I would be, uh, I guess, a little more concerned. But that really hasn't happened. So uh, luckily, I've been able to just ignore most of that stuff.
1: Cool. I have a question that sort of moves away a little bit from like the production and music of it all. One of the things that I notice is that you use your platform a lot to like support and raise awareness for people who are like marginalized, um, which we all think is like super awesome. Um, and we don't see that much from a, a lot of the folks that we interact with, like in terms of consuming their stuff on the show. So I'm curious, like what drives you to do that? um i don't know what
3: drives me to do it other than i just feel like it's what you're supposed to do when people pay attention to you i think um maybe it's like the way i was raised or like i came from like the the hardcore scene that i grew up in all the bands had some sort of message and it was always like music that was tied with to some sort of purpose or social awareness you know so like i think that probably just stayed with me and I can always see music as a tool to direct that message when it needs to be, you know? So um, luckily I'm in a place where like I have that opportunity from time to time where it makes sense to do for a given cause or event or something. So we, you know, whether it's like as the band or just some of the nonprofit stuff that we uh, we do with the studio or I do on my own, it's like, I can always, use it as a as a tool in that sense um and it's just something that i feel like is necessary to do nowadays you know so i've over the years you know with the band i know we we've done a ton of nonprofit stuff and benefit things and link things with charities and stuff but it's like it's easy to do you know it's not Mm. it doesn't require a ton of brain power to be like this sucks and if i do it, <laughs> i can help you know so it's um it's just something that um doesn't take a ton of work to do something good so i don't see it as a it's not really a challenge to do you know and i think more people should do it
1: yeah that's really really sweet uh thank you for answering that question I have one more that is related to something that, that you've done. It's a little different. Um, so you did a class with Nail the Mix, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, I'm curious, like, what was it like breaking down your process in a way to teach it to other people? And, like, how did it how did that feel to have to like explain your process and, like, to open up in that way?
3: Uh, Super annoying. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I thought it was going to be a lot more uh, mentally taxing than it was because I was like, "Man, I there's so much of this that I just do, and I don't think about it. I just do it." And then it, having to explain the steps of like a whole process of working with a band from start to finish seemed insane. I was like, "I don't really know I, how how to pull that off." And even going into that, I was like, "I don't really know if I'm even gonna." like this or like if i think this is gonna work you know but um yeah the the urm guys were like they had a really good plan for how how to do it and um it it worked itself naturally into the workflow that that i was doing at the time where it was like okay i can break this down in the right ways like we had a really good plan for how to execute all these like recording method teaching segments and things like that um so they were they were helpful with like or like sort of organizing it so I didn't lose my mind with it. But um it was uh it was funny because I was like I had to stop in each step and then say why I was doing a certain thing. And it made me realize like I run so on autopilot when when it comes to this style like when it comes to producing or that when I actually explain what I'm doing, like it was connecting dots in my own brain. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. I'm like I'm not that I'm teaching myself like again but I was like it's interesting to see to like vocalize your thought process in a way where where I'm like wow I'm I'm actually like I'm now that I'm talking it out it's changing the way I think about what I'm doing you know because as I'm explaining a part I'm like wait why am I doing that what what if I did this and it was like getting new ideas going and it it created this strange loop in my head so it was like it was like mentally very uh taxing because it kept me like really active through the whole process but um in the end it came out really cool like we got we got tons of footage and like tons of insight i think for how how my process really is broken down and um it was like a cool experience to like actually go through it just for me to see like it made me kind of rethink a few things about my workflow and why i do certain things and stuff too so i i I liked it i think i liked it people seem to like the class I know I get a lot of, um, there are a lot of kids who, who are really, who learned, I think a lot from it. You know, the people I've spoken to and some of the students in the class were like pretty over the moon about it. So, um, I think it worked out pretty good, but it was, um, I probably don't want to do that again for a while. That was, that was a (laughs) lot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so you know we are winding down here. Thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us. We wanted to kind of run down, sort of like a lightning round, and just see if you could just give us a little bit about working with the, some bands that we are very interested in. Of just that you that some we've covered on the show, some we haven't, and see if you just give us some quick either a story or a thought or you know any sort of info on the record. Um, so the first one I wanted to ask you about was uh, "Strangers Only" by My Ticket Home, which Jenny has called what i think the greatest modern new metal album of all time right jenny it was
1: it it was perfect took all the notes from the past brought in a perfect amount of lessons from modern i don't know i loved it
3: yeah that um that record rocks those kids are were especially for how young they were were so dialed in to to that sound and stuff but then it's funny over the years that band like evolved into a different thing, like because after after that record, they kind of went down another path creatively, which is just kind of like a testament to like how cool they were as musicians. They were they kind of reformed a style after that record too, um, but that that particular record was like this really awesome sweet spot for me where I feel like they nailed all the cool old new metal like hughes with like a modern approach to it and um yeah it came together really cool nick's a great singer like it was it was a really fun record to make me and randy my engineer at the studio both had like a really good time working through that one but yeah it's um it's a shame that like it didn't take off more like we thought we had we thought we had like oh man this is gonna be awesome and then like now, like, people still discover that record, and we're like, whoa, what is this? You know, but now yeah. the band's out to other things. It was just this lightning-in-a-bottle moment for this band, you know.
2: Do you know, are they are they done? Are they on hiatus? Do you know what their status is? Because, I mean, there's been, like, nothing from them since, like, 2017.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure what they're up to nowadays. I know the singer was working on a new project, because um, I, had, I had saw him pair up with some other musicians from other bands and stuff, but I don't know wherever it surfaces. They're 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 definitely on the, they definitely lean on the artsier side and work at their own pace, you know. So mm-hmm. I it, it's a it's probably a little slower of output. Um, but I I don't know where they're at in life right now.
2: Okay, Body Count. You've worked with I believe three times now. Um, these Bloodlust record incredible. Ski Mask Way, an all timer song. working with i i I mean i three times that indicates to me you and ice T and all of them have a a pretty good relationship
3: yeah we're um those guys are great we've um you know i came in to that project when the band was like trying to get back out there and sort of remodernize themselves so it was this like perfect path crossing scenario for both of us where you know i i got to they were really cool and open right away with like letting me sort of implement some new ideas and try new things that the band had never done before and we sort of like refreshed what they sounded like a bit you know and um but yeah they're they're the best They're super like fun to work with and those sessions are always like they're just really easy and um we collaborate really good together on a lot of music so it's um it's been a treat working with them for sure. Uh,
2: Jenny, you had one.
1: Oh yeah. I'm curious about working with terror specifically. I'm wondering if like, and I'm sure this doesn't happen, but in my dream, uh, Scott Vogel just screams the same sort of intense shit that he screams when he's performing um but i'm just curious what was it like to work with terror
3: um yeah no scott's that guy all the time
1: <laughs> oh my god thank you a dream fulfilled for me <laughs> yeah,
3: that's the real, he's the real deal man he's he, yeah that's that guy that guy's on 10 all the
1: time it's awesome oh god.
3: Uh,
1: <laughs> truly just made no, no, my man. whole day
3: <laughs> they're 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 hilarious and um we we had a blast working together too. there was like a lot of um, we did a lot of we did a lot of um there was a lot of fun like silly vocal stuff on on that for sure too the, those vocal sessions were were definitely um, were definitely a highlight for me a lot a lot of fun working with Scott. I love that guy.
2: Awesome. you've worked with stray from the path. I think over a decade now. So, and I believe you just did their new record. That's about to come out. Um, I guess you guys are just BFFs. Uh, yeah, uh, they were one of the
3: earlier bands, you know, like, um, that I probably hooked up with and, um, we've made it. Yeah. We've probably made, I don't know, five or six records together now at this point. But, um, yeah, we just, we are very close friends and we have this great working dynamic, um, where I, you know, I feel like in a way I'm like a part of that band a little bit, and um, it's it's like um, one of the easier records I think to work through for me because those guys are all really good. We know each other so well that there's like no filter on anything, and it's easy to be like, you know, if you heard how we spoke to each other, you would think, God, these guys are just dicks, but we're like so. <laughs> <laughs> We could be so honest with each other about how we feel about parts and stuff that it's like, it um, it really streamlines like our ability to get stuff done in a way, um, and they're hilarious. Like we've we've definitely they're definitely one of my more fun record making experiences. You know,
2: um, I had two more I wanted to ask about. You'd mentioned earlier the every time I die record, um, which is incredible with feathers what a what a song um and i know right now that band is kind of going through like a weird sort of tension or something like that was any of that evident in the studio or was is this like a new development i mean how was that whole process
3: um i wouldn't want to i don't really want to air out sure anything with like what is going on with them personally other than like you know there are brothers in that band and you know how
2: oh that
3: could be okay (laughs) so i'll um (laughs) Yeah, I'll 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 reserve any other comments, but I've never had, I've never had an interaction where there was like an issue. You know, those guys are such professional. um, Those they're such professionals in the studio now. They're so deep into their career and so focused on writing good songs and knowing what who they are and what they want to try to accomplish. You know, and they're still throwing curveballs. Like thing thing with feathers is a great example of just like how a band this late in the game could do new things and pull it off so well, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're honestly one of the, the best bands I've had the opportunity to work with. And, and uh, you know, I, I, it sucks to see those guys, you know, going through some turmoil right now, but I do hope they they're able to figure it out.
2: Absolutely. And the last one I want to ask you about, um, the four-year strong record you did, I guess it would have been two years ago, Brain Pain. I, these guys had never really been on my radar. Then I saw your name attached to it. I immediately listened to it, and it is one of my faves of all time now. Like I love it. I listen to it all the time. And the thing that's interesting about that record, though, is that I went in, I saw your name attached, so I assumed it was going to sound one way. But the record really kind of reminds me, and I mean this is a 100% compliment, as like an incredibly heavy fallout boy. Was that at all a thought process when you guys were making that record? Um,
3: To me, Four Year is the they're the heaviest and also the best band that lives in that world of like I I wouldn't even call it pop punk anymore because of what they do nowadays. But obviously it's like sort of a world they're attached to, you know, but it was like they are the real deal like musicians. And I think. They're a band that could be like a mastodon on in 10, 20 years. Like, they're they're going to be around forever. Like, there's nobody in that genre that is as talented as Dan and Alan and, and the guys in that band. And their evolution of what they're able to do with their music now and stuff is just super awesome and inspiring. You know, so I, I've really grown to love working with those guys and them as, as musicians. Um, they're like, they constantly impress me. You know, so, and, and then that record specifically, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff on that record that takes some, some big chances and doesn't really, doesn't really live in the world they came from, you know, and they were just so committed to um, going all in on sort of evolving the style and sound of the band and stuff. So it was a blast to be a, a part of that one and work through some of that with those guys. Great.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us. This was truly a thrill. Um, before we let you go, I'm wondering, you know, we've got the new Fit for an Autopsy coming out on January 14th. Is there anything else that you would like to plug or, or anything else that you'd like to say before we let you rest up?
3: Uh, What else do I got? Um, yeah, we got the Fit record January 14th. Nuclear blast or what the future holds will be out everywhere. Um, the band will be on tour through the US in, May, in um, January and February and then in Europe in May and June. Um, what else is coming out? I don't know what I can talk about yet record-wise. So I just wrapped up a Counterparts record. That's really cool. A new Straight From The Path. That's really cool. I don't know what else I can... Yeah, I gotta reserve. I gotta be quiet about <laughs> to, But There's plenty of output from the studio next year, so just... Keep an eye out. There's still some quarantine-made records that haven't surfaced yet that I'm excited to get out there, you know. Um, And, yeah, that's about it. I'm on all the various social media sites, so if you're interested in any of the work I do, feel free to give me a follow.
2: All right. Well, Will Putney, thank you so much for coming on Roach Coach. Uh, You're always welcome to come back. You are the man of fire to us, and we hope you get well soon. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated.
0: Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
2: Okay. (laughs) How fucking cool is Will Putney? (sighs) On a scale of one to
0: cool, he is cool. He's cool. He is cool. (laughs) One to cool? Yeah. Thank well, God you didn't use that in the interview. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I will just say that. Um, I uh, shout out first and foremost to Will Putney for doing this interview. Secondly, to Road Rider for Life, Josh Toomey, who, who made the intros, put this together for us to have Will on the show. Josh, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Josh. And thank you,
0: Josh.
2: Uh, um, And um, I, I, I was saying, you know, that I felt like I don't know how he, I don't know how Josh does it week to week. This was, it was very fun, but also incredibly nerve wracking because we never interview anybody. We just, no, nope. we just talking about, you know, the third cold chamber record here normally. Uh, Jenny, how did you feel about speaking with Will?
1: I thought it was great. I had uh, a lot of fun. Um, I thought he was incredibly nice and very humble and very cool maybe i don't know i didn't feel that nervous i felt like i was definitely like didn't want to you know i don't know make him have a miserable time but he just seemed like a normal nice kind of guy now there was one time when his audio cut out after i made a joke and i will say in that moment i sweat (laughs) I was like oh yeah. oh, oh no
0: oh. oh oh no
1: not this not this <laughs> but it wasn't that so I don't know I thought incredibly excited to learn that Scott Vogel's always on 10 I just thought all in all seems like a, a really great dude does great work and I thought it was super kind of him to spend time with us when he had COVID no less so Indeed.
0: it's crazy what a yeah. guy
2: what a guy. Um, yeah, indeed, like a little peek behind the curtain, he he told us he had COVID and we thought this is this is off. This is another like almost roach coach moment. <laughs> like, but he rallied for us and, and um definitely appreciate that. I gotta say, the revelation.
0: Oh, that, the Ross's rule revelation. That, that Ross
2: might <laughs> actually have no rules. Wow. <laughs> I loved how it was just like,
0: yeah, that dude has no
2: rules. <laughs> <laughs> that dude's got no rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh if anything i would i'm trying to, i went through and was trying to see what record because he said he worked on a record with him we didn't we didn't follow up so clearly we we still got some work to do in our follow-up questions but i'm pretty sure that it was the Night versus record um i think he did like mixing or something or engineering on that and ross produced it so i think that might have been the record he was talking about which i mean that could have been a whole whole conversation because after they did that record they booted their vocalist, and went straight instrumental, and then Putney produced Whole Hog, their follow-up record. So, you know. There you go. That could have been a whole thing.
0: So that would have been Into the Vanishing Light. Yes.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Matt, how'd you feel about talking with the Man of Fire?
0: You know, number one, he was just very gracious, which makes everything easier. There wasn't a moment that felt like, I don't want to be here. It felt very professional in and it kind of everything that happened in the interview is everything that he talks about. He was on time. He was prepared. He had anecdotes loaded to go. Will Putney would be an amazing dinner party guest. Like you just kind of would want him there because he just has that ability, that gift of gab, as it will. But like, no point. We, before we recorded, we prefaced and said that we aren't technical, you know. The, the biggest joke is that we didn't mention the seventh string on Korn's guitar. And he was like, okay. So he didn't go into, like, cabs and, you know, other things that I've heard him do on production shows.
2: Strings, for example. Strings. Yeah, you getting the
0: strings, you know. <laughs> I
2: mean, I, I, I jokingly wrote that question that we deleted from our question list, which was pedals, yes or no. And you were like, Jenny, you were like, what is this question?
1: <laughs> Look... If you, I said, if you want to ask that question, you ask that fucking question. I'm not asking this guy pedals or no. I'm not doing that.
0: Uh, but uh,
2: yeah, it was, I mean, just incredibly I mean,
0: nice. He was a total package. I loved it. I, we could have talked to him for another half an hour at least because I think there was just a lot more questions. I felt that um, it, it was not being an interview show. Just a delight to have him on
2: absolutely and i mean now that we're you know cutting our teeth we definitely should do more interviews and so obviously next up fred dürst <laughs> let's get him on that's yep. the next one <laughs>
0: because i think we're totally
2: ready for Freddie. let's do let's just right. jump make the big jump
1: i think it would be really really tough to top i mean i I was very excited to talk to Putney and I I'm calling he calls himself will. I probably shouldn't be calling him Putney like I'm moving in with him or something. Like I'm not moving in with him and his wife. We're all buds. old Putney there. but I don't know. like I feel like whoever we talk to next, it's like almost unfair to them mm. because I don't know if anybody else could be that cool.
2: It's true. Bars sit very high. So if there is anybody else that we've talked to, we gotta be like, are you cool? Are you cool? That'll be the first question we ask. Are you hey cool? Hey man, are you cool? Are you cool?
0: Or hey lady, are you cool? <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, look, I hate to bring up ghosts of the past, but I feel like we had a real like uh intro by fire to interviewing back at um the old Rockin' pod there. So Maybe we're a little more ready than we think. Yeah. You know? That is true. <laughs> I would yeah. say
0: that the Terry Date interview went went well. Oh, uh, now we're just hashing old bits. You mean, you mean Toby Wright? Toby Wright. Sure. Sure, that guy too. <laughs>
2: I'm doing I did great. Matt, Matt interviewed Terry Date Matt,
0: on his own and no, Matt told I why did you to interview you. Terry Date and didn't tell us? I didn't tell you I interviewed. I interviewed. I interviewed <laughs> Matt Terry interviewed Date. Terry Date. Me and uh, Terry Date and Gagarth. Yeah. Uh, uh, did, I did a Matt. Oh, we, you didn't know I was doing another show called Producer Spotlight.
2: Matt, if you interviewed Gagarth without us, I would fucking kill you.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't want the smoke. Is the truth? Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, well, maybe that's maybe that's what we got to do. We just gotta, you know, yeah. Terry Date. That strikes me as a more
0: lateral move, right? Sure. Well, I think Terry Date would be very super interesting. Mm-hmm. Garth would be ultra interesting. I still would love to talk to Mixer Extraordinaire, who who uh, unburied the tapes of Sepultura. Oh, Andy Wallace. I would love to talk to Andy Wallace.
2: Andy Wallace, he's got, you know, like, yeah. I mean, he'd probably tell you, he'd be like, listen, tapes covered in dirt, not the worst tapes I've ever received. <laughs> probably, he's probably got, he's got tape stories for days. Um, I mean, well, let us I mean, maybe, you know, Ross, get him on. Say, hey, we heard that you got no rules, bro. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, set the record straight. Rules or no rules, I think. I think I will. I will tell you both. My biggest challenge with my interviews is, I want to ask questions about anything other than music or production. I was holding myself back from being like, "Tell me about your life. What do you like?" What's your darkest secret? Just like trying to become best (laughs) friends with whoever we talk to. So, what's
0: what's something that you never tell anybody? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: What's your most embarrassing moment? What's the What's the funniest thing you've ever seen?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're married. What was that like? Yeah, I I was seriously. I wanted to be
1: like, where'd you meet your wife? That's what kind of dog do you have? Like, I just wanted to ask all these questions, and I had to like grip my chair and be like stay on task stay (laughs) on task which that's why our podcast is always three hours long i think (laughs) because god i just want to talk about anything but what we're we're supposed to be talking about
2: (laughs) Ah, but um it all came together um unless we get feedback that everyone hated it let us know (laughs) email the podcast roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com Say hello to us on all the socials. All those socials. You know we're on them. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Of course, follow Will Putney on all of those as well. Definitely check out this new Fit for an Autopsy record. As This episode goes up. I believe it's out in two days. And um, and then listen to all of his other various things that he has worked on. Because the man is prolific. And he's always got some new heaters for you. He is the man of fire. He has accepted our nickname. And I can only assume we will now find it in liner notes moving forward. Jenny, I had sent you a link to um, a video for a song. He only produced one song on the new A Day to Remember album, which is called You're Welcome, called um, Bad Bad Best Friend or Bad Friend. Did you Mm -hmm. have a chance
1: to listen to that? I'm going to be honest with you, Lauren.
2: (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let me tell you. It's um I listened to about half this record, and that song sticks out uh, like a sore thumb. You can tell that Will rolled in for that one because it is way heavier than anything else on the album. And it also has some incredibly aggressive lyrics about how if you're a bad friend, there's going to be nobody to carry that casket when mm. you're fucking dead. I was like, God damn, when you get Putney, you get that true heat. So, I, I, that was another one I didn't get to ask about. But, um, you know, just be like, man, God, like, the other songs in this album are not this intense. And this one, we're just like, you guys, let's talk about some bad friends and what would happen to them. Yeah,
1: what are other things that, that wouldn't happen for a bad friend? Mm-hmm. No one will sign your yearbook.
2: Ooh, that's one. Yep, yeah, no one will yeah. sign your yearbook. Yep, yeah, Somebody's going to show up with a thing of coffees. They're not going to have one with your name on it. It's true. Mm-hmm. You, yeah.
1: People will get gift baskets for the holidays. You won't get one. Right. Harry and David, not at your house. No, thank you.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. You will not get a selection of meats and cheeses at the holidays either. From Hillshire Farms. Nope. You're not going to yeah. get that. Top you eight know...
1: comes back. You're not <laughs> going <laughs> to be in the top eight.
2: <laughs> you're not going to be in that top eight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, if you go to a movie, like somehow you get invited to the movies, you're not going to get to share. I'll know. You nope. have to get your own. Get your own get your own popping
1: nope and that's the exhaustive list that's That's all that will happen to you if you're a bad friend (laughs) those are the only possibilities
2: only ones all right well thank you so much for listening to us chat up with putney thank you so much for listening to the show i've already listened to the socials so keep on saying hello to us online until next time jenny thank you lauren thank you
0: Matt. Matt,
2: thank, thank you. you.
0: Thank you. Okay,
2: and thank you, Will. Thanks, Will. Bye-bye.
0: Bye, bye. Bye.